Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. Yeah. So my name is Ted McFall. I live in the Pacific Northwest, uh, northern Washington. And I am a hobby beekeeper. I've been a beekeeper my whole life. I grew up in a beekeeping family. My father's kept bees. And so I'm uh, very familiar with all things related to bees. So on a typical day of beekeeping, I'll usually wait until around midday. Well, what I'll do is I'll just open up the hive. I'll puff them with some smoke, which uh, calms them down. And then I just go through the hives and see what each uh, individual colony needs. Whenever they're cranky, sometimes I talk to them and they're trying to sting me, and I, I do. I talk to them. I say, hey, what's going on? Why are you so upset? Say, hey, you know, is your queen doing okay? Is your queen here? Because sometimes the queen gets sick or something happens to the queen, and that makes them cranky. Or I'm like, you know, is a, is a predator messing with you guys? Or you know. Basically, I talk to them. I know that they don't understand what I'm saying, so I guess really it's more of talking to myself. Yeah, yeah, and it is kind of funny whenever I'm going through the hive because a lot of times I do see all their little their little eyes all lined up along the top bars staring at me. So sometimes I do feel like I have thousands of eyes staring at me at once whenever I'm going through their home. I know that maybe that's a little bit of a some kind of romanticized idea of beekeeping, but sometimes I, I feel like maybe they do kind of recognize me and they know, okay, it's this guy again. So one morning in... November of last year in northern Washington state, Ted McFall gets out of bed and he's going to go check on his hives. It was a typical morning. I made something to eat. I got got all my stuff together and I was just planning to uh, go do a typical hive inspection. So I went and I got my smoker and my uh, bee equipment, my bee suit. Then I put everything in my pickup truck and I went to the bee yard. And as I uh, drove into the bee yard, I could see from afar. Uh, kind of a dark shadow in front of one of my beehives. And I thought, oh, you know, I wonder what, what that is. And before he even gets out of the truck, he can see that something's wrong. And as I drove closer, I noticed that those were bee bodies. There were thousands of bee bodies strewn all over the ground in front of the beehive. And as I looked at the ground where all the, the dead bees were, I noticed that they were all decapitated. Each of their heads has been removed from their bodies. I opened up the, the beehive and I looked inside and it was just more carnage inside the beehive. There were just these chopped up left and right. There were bee heads everywhere. 
it was hard for me to believe that something like that had happened without the bees being able to mount any sort of a defense. Because if they're attacked by another predator, most of the time, or I shouldn't say most of the time, all the time, they're able to mount a defense and kill a certain amount of the attackers. However, in this case, there was not one attacker to be found. That was just something that, that I could not believe. I mean, I, I have been a peacekeeper for so many years, and I've never seen anything like it. So he takes some pictures, he sends them to his dad. And I was going to say, hey, look at this. Do you have any ideas what the heck this could have been? And he was totally bewildered also. So I, I took all the bee bodies and I just took them to the woods and I dumped all their little uh, uh, severed bodies and cleaned up my equipment and uh, brought it home. And so needless to say, it bugged me uh, for a few weeks after that, you know, thinking what the heck happened? And, and, and I just thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe it was uh, zombies. I, I have no idea what, what could have caused this crazy thing. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. It came to the U.S. from Asia and first appeared in Washington state. The country was slow to recognize it. And now, if it's not stopped, it could reshape the country. Mike Baker on the Asian giant hornets. It's Friday, May 8th. Mike, what are these insects and where did they come from? So they've earned the nickname the murder hornet, but really they're known as the Asian giant hornet. And they usually live in Asia. That's where they have developed the nickname because they are a voracious consumer of honeybees. Hmm. They're known as an insect that can spot a colony of honeybees, mark it with a pheromone, you know, a kind of a, an odor that can draw them back there. Then that, you know, that forager will go back to its nest, you know, get a backup crew to go and target the hive. Hmm. And then the attack begins. And what are the mechanics of this attack once this crew heads off to the hive? So it's a pretty brutal scene. These hornets are so big and they've got mandibles or they're essentially their jaws on the front of them are enormous compared to the bees. And so the attack can be pretty swift. They can kill thousands of them in just a few hours. Each one of the hornets can kill a bee every 14 seconds because one of their main ways to make this happen is just to decapitate the bees. That's their goal. Why? Why decapitate them? What they're really after here is 
the part of the bee known as the thorax, essentially the bee's chest. And they're mm -hmm. going to take that component back to their nest and use it to feed their young. I mean, that that's really a signature of one of their attacks is you look inside one of these hives and all the bees are dead and their bodies are split apart and the honey's been left behind. They ignore the honey altogether. Exactly. And how did these giant Asian hornets actually get from Asia to the United States? Well, they didn't fly here. There's a <laughs> lot of open questions about how it happened. Uh, I think the, the most common theory seems to be some sort of connection to international trade. Mm -hmm. You know, these queens from the hornets hibernate over winter and then emerge in the spring to basically start the creation of a new colony. So did one of these queens, you know, end up at the bottom of a ship somewhere where there was enough dirt for them to establish themselves? Or do they go into the base of the right bonsai tree that was going to come across the ocean mm. and get sold at some nursery somewhere? That seems like the, the theory most likely to the researchers who are following this. So it's the kind of pregnant hornet travel theory. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> But what we do know is that around November of last year, we started to get these indicators of the hornet here in the United States. I mean, we heard the story of Ted McFall where his hive gets wiped out in mysterious ways. Right. And then just a few weeks after that, a couple miles away, there's a guy who walks out onto his porch one morning, letting his dog out. And he looks down and immediately has a jarring fear because he sees the largest hornet he's ever seen in his life. Wow. Right there, right there, right there. Right in the edge of the edge. Look at that. That's huge. And he's you know, initially sort of scared, but also realizes it's just lying there. It looks to be dead. And he starts to poke around and look at it a little more closely. And as luck would have it, he had watched a YouTube video once about the Asian giant hornet. Huh. Giant Yes, 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 yes. Hold on a second. Dude, you yes, got it. Got it. So he has a hunch that this might be an Asian giant hornet. I mean, it didn't make sense to him at the time because they're not in the United mm -hmm. States. They wouldn't be here. But, you know, he just had enough of a hunch that he wanted to pursue it. And it ended up getting all the way to the state. And their invasive species specialists come by and go, yeah, it actually is. It's the Asian giant hornet. It's here for the first time ever. Huh. So this kind of random man on the street, man on the stoop, happens to have seen the right YouTube video and then sees this hornet in his yard, notifies the authorities, and there you go. First official sighting in the U.S. You got it. Thank God for YouTube, finally. <laughs> finally. So what happens once these invasive species specialists realize what they're dealing with? Well, so this first one was in December. And around that same time, there was another person in the area that had found a second one of these hornets. So there's now been two of these worker hornets that have been discovered. Mm -hmm. But then because it's December, these worker hornets are dying off just as part of their natural cycle. And the queens are going off to find somewhere to hibernate for winter. So there's no longer a great way for the state to, to commit a bunch of resources to track these things down. 
they can't really catch these hornets in the winter. Right. Now, all of a sudden, they're sitting, waiting for spring to arrive. And what happens in the spring? So this is really the time that the queens are going to start emerging from hibernation. They're going to start flying around looking for a new patch of dirt to start creating a nest, building a new colony, developing a whole Mm -hmm. new network of worker hornets that are going to spend the summer foraging throughout the region. And murdering honeybees. More of that, too. Right. So... Now's the moment. I mean, now's the chance where this window is open to start catching queens, tracking them down, to stop them from establishing a new nest. And it's really a chance to stop these before it's too late. We'll be right back. It's go time. As in, now's the time to go open and fund a Fidelity IRA. By contributing up to the $6,000 maximum limit before the extended 2020 federal income tax deadline of May 17th, you could reduce your taxable income. So don't wait. Visit fidelity.com slash the daily to make a tax smart move today. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity does not provide tax advice. Consult a tax professional regarding your specific situation. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. I do have a, I have a hornet suit in the car, actually. Oh we had to buy special... Oh, you did? Oh, really? Like extra thick or something? Yeah. So, Mike, now we're here. It's the spring, this critical moment to try to stop the murderous hornets. How are the authorities in Washington trying to do that? So I got a chance a, a couple weeks ago to go out with Chris Looney, who's the state entomologist who's really the guy leading the war being waged against the hornets right now. It's social distancing time, so I put on my mask that had some cartoon bees on it. <laughs> so are you making these, basically? Yeah, yeah basically. Like, so we meet at this forest edge, and he's making traps out of clear fruit jugs, essentially. The regular wasp traps would be too small for the hornet to even fit in. So they're making those. Yeah, we just made them out of these you know, these juice containers that we bought in bulk. You know, really trying a variety of strategies here to entice some of these hornets to, to get stuck. We either put a half a cup of orange juice and rice wine in it. So basically the grossest mimosa on earth for <laughs> the hornets. Or uh, this one is a kefir and water blend. It's a, it's a fermented milk protein is essentially what we're going for. Gotcha. Chris was very kind to bring some specimens along to show what these things look like. He had a bunch of them in a little jar. There's the uh, <laughs> hornets if you want to look at them. It's like a, you know, it's a chunky baby carrot. It's, you know, it's a huge thing. <laughs> to two inches or something mm-hmm. like The that? queens will get up to two inches. Okay. Like that's a wingspan that's almost like, that's a wing like a dragonfly almost. You know, it's got tiger stripes down the back. And wow. its face is large enough to appear at in person. And it's got the Spider-Man teardrop eyes and a really sort of mm. ferocious look. It's just a, it's a really striking sight to see them. I feel like it's going to come alive in the Sounds like it looks like a nasty, murdering hornet. That that, that sounds like a good description. (laughs) (laughs) So how is the trap supposed to work? To be able to track them back to where they are. You know, let them back out of the jug and follow them back to their nest. Because, you know, 
it's not that great to kill just one of these hornets. You want to be able to find the source and kill them all. And what's the plan for what happens when a nest is found? So the ideal situation, you find one, you come back at nighttime when you know all the hornets are cooped up inside and you can go in and go on the attack. You know, I talked to this one guy in Vancouver Island in British Columbia who had the job of doing just that, going out in the middle of the night and trying to eradicate this nest that they had found. He puts on his shorts and then thick sweatpants. And then on top of that, his bee suit. He's got Kevlar around his wrists and ankles. I mean, he's ready. He's prepared. He's ready for battle. But as he's approaching the nest, I mean, he's rustling through the bushes and he's got a flashlight on his head. And, you know, something about all that awakens the hive and some of them start emerging. Uh Uh-oh. And just as he is about to douse the nest with carbon dioxide... He feels those first searing stabs in his leg through the bee suit, through the sweatpants, the thick sweatpants that he has. Wow. And he gets stung seven times, some of them drawing blood even through the bee suit. And he tells me that it essentially feels like red hot thumbtacks that are being driven into his flesh. He wakes up the next day and his legs are aching like he has the flu. You know, he's been a beekeeper and done that kind of work for many years. He's been stung thousands of times. And Mm -hmm. he says these stings were the most painful he's ever experienced. Mike, what happens if this eradication effort you're describing just doesn't work? So one thing is Western Washington is a bit of an ideal habitat for the Asian giant hornet. I mean, it's it's got plenty of woods for it to establish itself, lots of nice dirt. You know, the, the, the hornet doesn't do great in high altitudes or really dry plains. So there's a lot of concern that it could quickly spread through this part of the Northwest. And then how far it can go beyond there is an open question. I mean, if it hitches mm-hmm. a ride to the right place in Colorado or the South or the Northeast, I mean, it could quickly establish itself there as well. And there's a window here to contain and eradicate the hornet in the next year or two. And if they have enough time and space to spread over that time period without getting wiped out, I mean, that would essentially be the end of it. Then it's just more of a containment as opposed to an eradication strategy. And how bad a situation? would that be for the United States? I'm mindful that one of the reasons this story has attracted so much attention is that honeybees are this important part of our ecosystem. So a murderous invader seems really threatening to that. But as you mentioned, these hornets have been in Japan for a really long time, and it's not like their ecosystems have collapsed. Right. It's a, it's a part of normal life there, but there is one real important difference. And that is over time, the, the Japanese honeybees have evolved to fight back against the Asian giant hornet. Hmm. When an Asian giant hornet approaches 
a hive in Japan, the, the bees begin a strategy of teamwork that involves surrounding the hornet and staying surrounded as a ball in, a, in a, so many of them that you can't even see the hornet anymore. Wow. And they flex their muscles essentially like they're flying and produce a constant heat that essentially turns their little ball into a tiny oven. And over the span of 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes, and it gets warmer and warmer and warmer, the hornet eventually gets cooked to death. Wow. Unfortunately, the the European honeybees, the Western honeybees that we have, they're the most popular pollinators here in the United States. The researchers have looked into whether they have the same instinct, whether they have the same ability to fight back, and they don't. Hmm. So the honeybees in the U.S., they would be pretty defenseless for, I mean, in terms of evolution, a really long time. It seems likely that if these things are going to start targeting a variety of hives in the United States, it's just going to be massacre after massacre after massacre. A lot of people don't realize it, but one third of every bite that you take is dependent on honeybees. So much food would not be pollinated without honeybees. If you like apples, well, guess what? A honeybee pollinated that. Do you like uh, nuts? Well, guess what? A bee pollinated that. Do you like avocados? A bee pollinated that. There's so much that are bees pollinated. Actually, even they help pollinate alfalfa, which helps feed livestock. I mean, bees do so much for us that people don't really realize it. But if the bees find themselves in trouble, then humanity will find itself in trouble. The only thing that we have going for us right now is the fact that it is over here in the corner of the United States. So we have it a little bit isolated. If we can get rid of them right now, there, there's still hope. It's basically a now or never situation. And if we don't deal with it now, then it's going to spread over the entire United States. Mike, I'm curious how you're thinking about this story. Especially because for the past two or three months, you have done almost nothing but write about the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it was my task there early on in the outbreak here in Seattle area to report on the emergence of the virus, the nursing home where so many people died early on, and then continued to report and watch as it spread elsewhere across the country. And, you know, <laughs> I took the opportunity for this story about the Hornets as, as a bit of a break from that, as a bit of a reprieve. And in some ways thought it was just an interesting quirk of something that's happening here. And thought it would just be, you know, a one-off story, you, you know, you go out and do this interesting thing. It's a curiosity, but nothing major. But instead, you know, in the process of reporting, you also had this sense of the uncanny parallels here. Here I am reporting again and something that's come in from Asia, lands in Washington state first. You know, we have just right. a couple cases here. There's a just a couple of them now, but it's 
potentially poised to spread much further. And, you know, as I've sort of been processing that, the story, once it got published, took off in ways that I I totally did not anticipate. And I've been trying to make sense of that too. Like, why are all these people from all over the country emailing me their photos of the various insects they've just found in their backyard? Is this the is this the murder hornet? Is this the one here? Is it is it in my county? Is it in my state? And so I, I get the sense of others around the country, consciously or not, are seeing the same parallels of this threat that has mm. arrived and an opportunity to stop it. And uh, as our lives are consumed by coronavirus, that we, you know, we didn't prevent it from spreading. You know, in this case, we're almost back at the beginning of that story and a, a chance to get it right. Right. We didn't stop the coronavirus, but perhaps we can stop the hornets. And that would be something. That would be... <laughs> that would be great. Oh, Mike, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. This month, new originals, new episodes. Stream all your favorites with the Disney Bundle. On Disney Plus, watch Star Wars The Bad Batch and High School Musical The Musical The Series. On Hulu, originals like The Handmaid's Tale and Shrill. And on ESPN Plus, new episodes of Stephen A's World and The Best of MLB. Sign up at thedisneybundle.com. Includes Hulu ad-supported or Hulu no ads. Access content from each service separately. And select ESPN Plus content via Hulu. Terms apply. Copyright 2021 Disney and its related entities. Here's what else you need to know today. On Thursday, the Department of Justice dropped its criminal case against Michael Flynn, President Trump's first national security advisor, who had pleaded guilty to lying to FBI agents about his communications with Russia. We are both obviously relieved and gratified that we have an attorney general and other attorneys in the Department of Justice now with enough integrity to bring the truth to light. The decision, which was celebrated by Flynn's lawyer on Fox, came after newly revealed documents suggested that the FBI agents lacked the proper justification to interview Flynn in the first place. Uh, I felt it was going to happen just by watching and seeing like everybody else does. Uh, He was an innocent man. Asked about the decision at the White House, President Trump immediately praised it and congratulated Flynn. So I'm very happy for General Flynn. He was a a great warrior, and he still is a great warrior. Now in my book, he's an even greater warrior. And another 3.2 million Americans filed for unemployment last week, bringing the total number since the start of the pandemic to more than 33 million. In many states, Officials say that more than a quarter of the workforce is now unemployed. 
The Daily is made by Theo Balcom, Andy Mills, Lisa Tobin, Rachel Quester, Lindsay Garrison, Annie Brown, Claire Tennisketter, Paige Cowan, Michael Simon Johnson, Brad Fisher, Larissa Anderson, Wendy Dore, Chris Wood, Jessica Chung, Stella Tan, Alexandra Lee Young, Jonathan Wolf, Lisa Chow, Eric Krupke, Mark George, Luke Vanderplug, Adiza Egan, Kelly Prime, Julia Longoria, Sindhu Yanasambandan, MJ Davis Lynn, Austin Mitchell, Sayer Cavedo, Nina Patak, Dan Powell, Dave Shaw, Sydney Harper, Daniel Guimet, Hans Buto, Robert Jimison, Mike Benoit, Bianca Gaver, and Asta Chaturvedi. Our theme music is by Jim Brunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Sam Dolman, Michaela Bouchard, Lauren Jackson, Julia Simon, Mahima Chablani, and Nora Keller. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you on Monday. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.